Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind talks about the music industry and the importance of music, not only to heal us, inspire us, but also to propel us into our next vision and goal. Our guest is Dr. Matthew Knowles, father of Beyonce and Solange Knowles, and uh, launcher of Destiny's Child. He's also the CEO of Music World Entertainment. We talk about his newest book, Emancipation of Slaves, through music. Yes, music. Matthew and I are coming at you right now. Matthew Knowles, welcome back. Oh, thank you for inviting me again, Sabrina, Sabrina Marie. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. Uh, last we spoke, we spoke about your, your great book about racism through the eyes of a child. And um, we had some really great feedback from that book, from our first episode. And now you have a new book, Emancipation of Slaves Through Music. But I wanted to talk um, about both, where we are okay, as a, yeah. a, a, a country and how music is not only soothing, it's, it's kind of like a medicine. Can you touch on that? We, we've had music in marches. We've had music all throughout history. But the black experience in music is is, uh, is rather unique. Well, I think what we have to do is first understand, uh, just some context here, MUSIC music is derived from muse, and, and that's the muse that we have in each and every one of us. It's almost like a spiritual thing inside of us, um, and, and music soothes that. It, Imagine there's days, I know for me there's days that I'm stressed out, I can hear a song and it'll take me back. For example, if it was an Earth, Wind & Fire song done in the 70s, it'll take me back to that time. Uh, that's the beauty of music is that it can really, really soothe and take us uh, to a, a, a better psychological even space. You know, you talk about that and, you know, emancipation uh, and slavery, uh, the spirituals and the chants and other things, I'm sure, helped our people get through. Can you talk about that? Well, you know, Sabrina Marie, we, we often don't think about when the slaves left Africa and got on those slave ships. It was almost a year and a half, two years before that journey got them to to America. Now, most of us don't take a moment to understand that we have many different tribes. We have many different tribes uh, in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, so right. these these folks couldn't communicate because, because they were from different tribes with a different language. Uh, Twenty-five percent of the slaves were Muslim. Most people don't realize mm -hmm. that. Uh, but it was through that music clanging those chains together on their their feet and their, their wrists and hitting a, on the hull and the walls of the ship and humming uh, that over that two-year journey, they began to communicate through music. Many people don't know that, yeah, there was a middle passage, but a lot of that passage, a lot of the slaves were taken out of West Africa, and... Uh, they had a nice little long boat ride down to South America and through the uh, islands. So they right. didn't, a lot of them did not come directly to America. They had to go uh, through the islands. Down to the Caribbean. South America. Mm -hmm. And then some went 
to England and then from England to America, South America to, it was a long journey. It wasn't, uh, and it was an awful journey because, you know, uh, these folks were, were captured into slavery. You know, we talk about America and right now we're talking about, um, that America is composed of a lot of different cultures and people and you know the fact that it was the folks that came into to America from outside of America that really helped build America as we know it today but they never talk about the impact that that slaves had to help build America yeah and they don't talk about the the uh, Africans who are already in America uh, right. They don't talk about that that either. We were we had uh, come to America before the Indians. In fact, I've seen pictures of what Indians looked like in the 1800s, and they don't look like what we've seen in the last hundred years in pictures well, or depicted uh, we, we in know media. that story the same as when you and I were growing up. Uh, the pictures of Jesus Christ who was a white man with blue eyes and straight hair. Um, uh-huh. We know he didn't look like that either. That's right. That's right. And uh, the history, his story, um, I know it has affected African Americans being taught that in schools. I was going to ask, you know, in, in terms of, of um, the whole experience, how were you taught African American history? Or were you within the school and within your communities growing up? Well, I think you did a great job, Sabrina Marie, by saying history is his story. Um, when you break down the word, it's his story. And, you know, it's been told in many, many times, especially in, in, the, in the 70s and 60s when I was growing up, uh, we just didn't get the right, correct information. I'm still torn, though, on the word African American. Myself, I'm from my family's from the Bahamas, so I'm not an African American. I'm Bahamian, right? <laughs> you know, so so we right. have to be careful. Everybody's not from Africa. That's that's a no. darker skin, uh, and I, I just a little torn by that word. I, I always pause. I because I've known a lot. I have a lot of African friends uh, who really don't consider us as African brothers and sisters. Um, and that's something I think we have to work on uh, and connect that. Yeah, I, I learned that at Howard University. I had some African friends, people from the various states there, and they were saying, what do you mean African-American? When have you been to Africa? Right. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. It's just terminology that they've, you know, changed several different times. It used to be black and then it used to be colored and and um, I remember asking my my grandmother, "What's color? What color is that?" You know. Well, um, I grew up in Gaston, Alabama, looking at colored and white water fountains and bathrooms, um, and and having a seat in the colored sections of the the picture motion the theaters. Uh, so I've seen that word many many times, colored. Um, so we have, you're right, I'm, I'm still a proud black man. You came out of the 60s and you had, you know, the Black Panthers and many other Afrocentric, i got to get it right. And, um, you know, how did that help? Did that help us 
in any way. Absolutely, I think it did, and I wish that they were around today. Um, I, I think, you know, it it takes that sometimes. It takes that to get the attention uh, of folks, that we're not just going to sit down and turn our heads when you do the wrong thing. Um, there has to be some action done sometimes. I, I, I absolutely think that the Black Panthers and, and all of the other organizations, uh, they, they really made an impact. In the spiritual, um, the spiritual goes back to the slaves working in the fields, the singing, and as ways to communicate um, chants and other things that today we see in step shows and um, many other, you know, cheers. Those are things that came out of the African experience. Can you speak to that? Well, I, I do in, in the book, um, Emancipation of Slaves Through Music. You know, again, 25% of the, the, the slaves were Muslims. Uh, mm-hmm. Christianity was really forced upon the slaves as a, a method of control. Literally, the Muslim slaves faked it. They would go to church on Sunday and they would fake it uh, because they were Muslims. They, they, they had to, 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 to go through the action or get beat or killed. Uh, but you know, through 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 music during slavery, not only did they soothe them from a working day, the slave master literally thought that if a slave was singing, they were happy. So they they endorsed, they wanted them to be singing because they thought that they were happy. Where in fact they were just trying to get through the day, <laughs> just trying to get through the day. But also through those songs, there were lyrics that was telling uh, how to escape, when to escape. Uh, So some of those lyrics were powerful in giving information to escape. Now that's interesting. You're you're talking about, um, you know, codes, and that's what we would... And even when we evolved from slavery and getting through that uh that passage, music was used. Um and then I I talk about um the nineteen sixties where there was that bridge of trying to emancipate slaves, but the music continued from the 1860s through 1900 in various ways uh, to help newly freed blacks. And, I mean, uh, isn't it amazing yeah. that, we, uh-huh. that we forget that it hasn't been that long that we've been free? That's right. That's right. And that's why well, we have some things that we do in our culture uh, that that keeps us from growing the jealousy and envy that was that was endorsed and was put into play by the slave master. He wanted you to to be jealous of the other slaves if they were living in the big house. He wanted you to tell him what was the slaves doing. He wanted you to think, "Hey, I'm better than you because 
I'm a lighter complexion than you. He he engraved that mentality into us. And again, slavery has only been 150 some years. I mean, you know, it's that's my great grandparents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. But also yeah, that's the impact of racism because it's only been a few years that that we have been allowed to be free. Yeah, when you look at the laws, uh, the supposed civil rights laws of the 1860s, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, it seemed like the 1960s had to repeat those amendments or strengthen those amendments. So in that hundred years, uh, I guess with the 1860s and 70s, you did have black legislators from the southern states that were going into Congress. You did. I believe you had about 13 or 15 of them. Many of them were prominent and, and, lawyers and other people. Mm-hmm. And, and ironically, they were Republicans. That's right. <laughs> you know, what's Republican now is Democrat mostly. Exactly. Um, it's flipped 100%. It, it, it changed because um, when, you know, they say Lincoln freed the slaves, Lincoln really didn't free the slaves. I mean, it, some legislation there helped people to become emancipated a little but it, it wasn't completely free, you know, uh, for people in the southern states. Uh, well, you know, know Texas had <laughs> Juneteenth. It was a, a year and a half, two years before the slaves in Texas even knew that they were free. Right. It took a while. And some some even longer than that that weren't, uh, you know, privy to, to education. And, um, and then, and then once, have, once yeah. slavery was over... They had all of these laws, Sabrina Marie, that for yeah, black right. folks, you had you couldn't be out in public drinking. You had to be dressed all the time. You could never use profanity. You could never look at a white woman over like a secular or two. You know, that was a lot of laws. Yeah, the slave, they had the slave codes, Plessy versus Ferguson, Dred Scott, which his name wasn't even Dred Scott, but... That's what they named the law. You had all these different laws, and then you had, you know, uh, voting polls and different things they, they would put through, you know, because remember, that was it the 15th Amendment gave us the right to vote, I believe, or was it the 14th uh, Amendment? One of those I amendments think, gave us the yeah, right to vote. Um, but still, yeah, if you had right. poll taxes, and so blacks were still held in bondage until the 1900s, uh, 1960s. And then you had the, you know, civil rights laws of uh, 64, 65, 67, 68, and 72, which was busing, um, school right. busing. So, yeah, you're talking about um, less than, you're talking about less than 50 years ago, 50-some years ago, and, with all the civil I, rights we, laws. Yeah, we forget that, and and we forget that, you know, some folks today have heard their grand parents uh, talk extremely negative and use the N-word uh, consistently in their homes. Uh, and, and so when we look at why we have Donald Trump and they keep talking about his core, his core is really, if we only be truthful, his core is about 60 million white people who, for the most part, have this hatred of black folks. You can be like a certain type of black person, and not necessarily educated. 
Um, right. They like certain types of people. Um, Mr. 45 likes Kanye, and Kanye is a, a good artist and everything, but um, his disdain for Obama and others, I mean, he's, he's, I'll be truthful, he's gone after athletes, football, basketball, <laughs> just little petty things. Um, even LeBron James, and I think he, what did he say? He said Don Lemon made LeBron look smart, and that was right. only a few weeks ago. Whoa. Well, um, I, I, I see, I see that, that, uh, whole journey about to come to an end. I, I truly believe it's about to come to an end. Let's pray it does. I mean, you know, I'm, and, you know, speaking of, of music, we're, we're going to get to, to music. We hear that we shall overcome. We see a lot of documentaries, whether it be PBS and otherwise, um, with people marching uh, in the civil rights movement to music. Many of the songs or spiritual songs that black folks had been singing for about a hundred years. They just happened to be in the civil rights movement of the 20th century. Yep, I, I, I was one of those people. Again, you know, mm -hmm. I started dem demonstrating. Um, I was born in 52. I started at six, in 1964 when I was um, 12 years old. A lot of young, young kids were demonstrating. And our number one song was We Shall Overcome. Mm -hmm. We have um, guys and dolls. We have the jazz age in the, you know, 20s, 30s. Uh, and we've always been able to look to music, not only just for entertainment. We started to get exploited by others who loved our music and used our music against us. When do you think that uh, blacks will actually be able to be more educated in music and see it like the master does as a business, not just for entertainment or for relaxation? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, and that's a very good question, because when I first got into the music industry um, in the early, mid-90s, early 90s, uh, you had black managers, you had uh, black business managers that were taking care of the finances, you had many black attorneys. That's all changed now to either white or Jewish. Very few mm -hmm. of these artists today, major artists, have black people that's at the head of their team. Uh, and, and that's one of the transitions that I'm seeing. Uh, nobody's paying attention to that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's about having the right team uh, and someone you can trust and someone who's knowledgeable and someone who has relationships. And you, you'll lose... And that happened, to, I'm that sorry. happened to people early on, though. The 40s and the 50s. That happened to the people um, like Frankie Lyman. I mean, that happened with the Orioles and the early, early African-American groups until, like, it a Motown came along. And it happened, and now we have a generation of great voices. Many can still sing, uh, but they don't own their music, and or they were treated right by their, you know, handlers, uh, whether it be the record label or managers. It's um, it's very painful to see. 
And well, have you, have you ever seen the, the uh, Cadillac Records that Beyonce stars in? Yes. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, I did. I think that depicts it clearly. <clears throat> we were those sharecroppers that went from slaves to sharecroppers. And, um, you know, these white record labels would go down to the south. Uh, these and, and there's a, a, a part of the Cadillac Records mm-hmm. that shows this, where they go to the cotton fields and you hear these folks working hard but singing all throughout. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, who wrote those songs? Because I have a, I, my perspective is that if you looked at artists and song. What's more important? It's the song, um, and unfortunately, a lot of artists don't write the songs. So, so mm-hmm. they would go and, and get these songwriters uh, from the south and bring them up and sign them to a, a publishing deal and give them a Cadillac and took all the royalties. And the artists that mm-hmm. they did get also from the south, they did the same. They would give them a Cadillac, take away all their royalties. Right, and that's what happened to Frankie Lyman. Those kids wrote that song, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? And uh, many of the others, the students, any day of the week, turned into the Bristol Stomp by a white group. And it was the same song. <laughs> and guess who, who got the money? <laughs> yeah, you know, we know uh, who got the you money. Look, yeah, you know who got the money. Yeah, so you, you see that. Yeah, you, you, you see people like a Little Richard and, uh, you know, people who are influenced by Little Richard able to take his music as their own and win in court. And you know it's a Little Richard ripoff. It's just about the same chord. Do you believe Well, that, that happened in, a lot in, in, in the, the, the 60s, uh, 50s and 60s, where these... And, and early 70s where these black artists or black groups would be singing a song to get signed by a major record label. Next thing they know, the white group is singing the exact song. They didn't change the chorus. It was the exact song. <laughs> right. The, 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 exact, the exact song. Um, some of them I've, I've heard, you know, uh, got their the name of their group uh, copyright or, or, or trademarked before they could. Right. And uh, and then they had to to fight to get the name back. Or you've got several oldies groups under the same name, several coasters, several drifters, several this, several. Like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. And not one of them is any original member of the group. When you say emancipation through music, that's what I look at also. When will we start owning this we we are the ones that we didn't create music. Don't get me wrong, God created music, but a lot of our influence and a lot of different genres from country, R and B, soul, rap, you name it. We don't own it. We don't own the business. We don't own much of any part of of uh, as a whole. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, but I, I think the beauty is is that with technology. Um, you know, two years ago, the, uh, we were, three years ago, we were in a downward spin with the music industry. It was doom and gloom. Uh, and then we started this thing called streaming, and it, it really took off. And so two years ago, we had a 14% increase. Last year, we had a 16, 15, 16% increase. But it's now easier for an artist to get their songs and music heard because of streaming, and I see the future where a lot of these record labels are going to either reduce their staff 
tremendously or go out of business because the artist will be able to go directly and, and to the streaming companies and get their music played. They can bypass a record label, bypass a distribution company. We have no black major distribution companies. You're right. You're right. And what do you see for our legacy artists, the ones that have done a lot of the influencing? We just had the passing of Aretha Franklin, and um, many others are, 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 are leaving us. But we have a lot of those legacy artists that still have a great voice. Um, if you were to hear them, you'd be amazed. But we just don't hear from them anymore. What do you What do you say to that? Well, you know, the sad thing I, I recently heard, uh, you know, maybe it was yesterday, on, on day before, uh, and, I, and I don't know how true this is, so I, I, I don't want to say it's 100% factual, that, but that Aretha didn't even have a will, uh, which yes. becomes problematic. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and to the listeners, I, I, I tell you, it's, it's I heard very the same. important. Yeah, I heard the same. You know, you, it's very important yeah. we get our business part done. And, 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 and so often the artists, our black artists, don't have their business taken care of. How That's why they call it music that? business. It's the reason why we call it music business. <laughs> what can change that? What can help us get a better part of the industry and, and actually be able to own and when we get into golden years, if, you know, as I get old, if I were an artist, get it, get into my golden years, if I've written something, shouldn't I be able to benefit from that? Because artists that recorded before 1972, the laws were, were written differently after 72. They had so many different forms. They had 8-track tape. They had cassette. They had Those laws were written, so if a artist's music was played in any form, they were able to benefit from that. The ones before 72, it was just basically records and recordings, I believe. Well, it's, it boils down to even before 72, uh, three words, work for hire. Uh, often artists, mm -hmm. songwriters, they get mistaken what work for hire means. Uh, and it means that I'm going to pay you for your work, but you will get no residual income from it. Very simple. And so a lot of the reason why is these these artists, songwriters, sign a document called Work for Hire. Wow. That's and that happens right today. Here. That happens today. Well, would streaming help? not only artists of the last 50 years, but the, those that are still with us that recorded before that. It was interesting when Smokey was saying that the Miracles don't get paid for Shop Around. They don't well, get paid. No, he wrote it. <laughs> but, you know, the performers Well, he gets paid. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he wrote it, yeah. But, uh, you know, and... and and there are others in the miracles that wrote my that co-wrote my girl and other other songs the way you do the things you do. So Smokey did have co-writers sometimes too. But um, Barrett Strong, Money, uh, he was also he wrote War and um, Ball of Confusion, I believe. I didn't know he was a songwriter. Um, but well, he was, you, he was a you can look at any two artists, regardless of what year, uh, time of era. Their contracts will be different. You negotiate your contract. So it goes back to you have to have an entertainment attorney, a lot of 
folks back in the day had people that were chasing ambulances who said they were entertainment attorneys, had no idea what they were doing. Uh, again, they had managers that had no idea what they were doing, or they had managers, white managers, who were friends with the record label, so they were giving them the wrong information. Uh, so all of that exists today. They still have so that. the question is, I own a record label, which I do, Music World. Am I supposed to negotiate if you're the artist in your best interest or my best interest? I'm asking yours. that question to you, Sabrina. Yeah, Marie. yeah. yours. Yeah, you're going to look at your, your business. Yeah. Yeah. I should negotiate it in my best interest. So if you don't have the right team, uh, that's unfortunate. But many of the oldies artists still go with um, DJs as their managers. They That's what they learned back in the day. And today it's much more sophisticated. You're right. You do have to have somebody who knows the intellectual property laws and everything. Um, but for people who are 60-plus, that was the way to go. You know, you get your talent agent who was a DJ. <laughs> like, right. wow. Uh, have they been to law school? No, they don't know. No, no, no. They're, they're power of attorney, but they don't know law. How can right. that help the artist, though? How how does that help when you don't really know the law and the people who do, they circumvent? That's what happens to a lot of our classics. And so when you say streaming, yeah, I'll, uh, some of the classic people that I talk with, they love it. They say it's great. You don't have to worry about all these middle people. And uh, so I believe people, uh, especially in the last 25, 30 years, may benefit far more than our, our uh, classic artists. And, and the key is is that we educate. And I'm proud to say there's a lot of HBCUs. You went to Howard. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah. I'm not teaching at, at Texas Southern this semester, but I've taught there eight years. We, there's a degree program where you literally get a degree. It, it's called Entertainment Recording Management. And so it, it teaches you every aspect of the music industry, and there's several HBCU universities, and there's several universities around America that actually teach this now. Uh, and then there's seminars that That's you great. can go to and that you can learn if you don't. Uh, and, and this thing called Google can help you as well. Uh, I call them Professor Google. <laughs> you, you, you don't know something? <laughs> call on Professor Google. You don't even have to spell it right. Awesome. And you're right. You know, we, we do have to look forward and learn from uh, many of the pioneers that are still with us uh, and, 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 and move forward. And the, I'm sure these uh, institutions that are teaching this will be a great help. In closing about the uh, emancipation of slaves through music, where do you see, now that we you know, talked a little bit about streaming, where do you see us going in the next five years? I'm very clear on this. We will not hear music. We will see music. And by that, I mean every time we experience music, we'll also experience it from a, with the video. Uh, so we will always see it. We won't just hear it. So that's the big thing, I think, is we, we will be and, and, and a great example of that is, uh, is, is, you know, Beyonce has proven that with her album before, um, that people want to see music, not just hear it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being back with us. I really appreciate uh, 
not only the information about uh, learning, you know, how music psychologically has helped our people through whatever passage and whatever century we came through into, not only the Americas, but all over the world, but also what you see for the future. And fun. Well, I, I, I thank you a lot. But I, I want to, if I could just have two more minutes, may I? Sure. Sure. I, I wanted to just give uh, some some thanks. And how this book, Emancipation of Slaves Through Music, came about is, as a, uh, I had two classes I, I taught uh, two semesters ago at Texas Southern University. Uh, and I got a call literally uh, two days before uh, school started from the dean asking me to teach a third class. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> I have prepared, what is this class? It is special topics. So it allowed me to talk about whatever I, I wanted to. So typically I have uh, average about 50 students in this class. So on, on the ride, on the drive to class, I came up with the topic of the semester would be emancipation of slaves through music. And so I got it, came to the class, only had 10 students, and I like, wow, this is interesting. I never had 10 students. So I did this thing that I think a lot of HBCUs uh, have to really do with our students, and that's research. Um, a lot of my success had been through research. I researched you. I knew all about you, that you, D.C. and Howard, and then you, you were, got an internship with the, <laughs> with the White House. <laughs> I, 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 I researched you. But, but these 10 students wow. that I had did a semester of research, um, and they turned in for the whole semester, each one of them, 100 pages on research of the instruments in Africa, the banjo was created, the drums were created, the harp was create, created all in Africa. Uh, and, and so I just always, uh, when I interview, want to give credit to my students, those 10 students that uh, contributed uh, probably 25 to 30% of the book. And, and so I always want to tell that story and uh, uh, give them the props. And that's that's vital. That's vital. That's inspiring. Well, they actually are are authors now, still in school. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's awesome. (laughs) I love everything about music, and uh, it is is a healer, and it's a bridge builder. It is, and uh, it's built many, many bridges. Uh, And you see it, you know, it, it helped us in the desegregation movement, uh, you know, when we used to have the, uh, as I said earlier, the colored section, the white section, and, but they'd get excited and they all would mix and mingle. The cops would get all angry, but, uh, you know, music has really helped us in, in the movement uh, because it doesn't see any color. Music doesn't. Yeah. The, the, also, the marches that have come about in the last couple of years. Uh, on immigration and the women's movement and other other marches that have happened, uh, music is you hear the music being sung there too, and and bringing Absolutely. all different generations together and people and kids, kids who aren't even old old enough to vote, they're learning, you know, because they're coming out to these rallies. Well, we start out kids. The first things, one of the first things they hear is mama singing to them. 
Mm-hmm. That's one of the That's first right. things they hear. This has been a great segment. Thanks so much. Thank you, and have a wonderful evening.